This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Bishop Stuart Ruck. Over two decades ago, I had the joy of studying theology and of pursuing a degree. I had many incredible professors in that process. There was one whose comments have often come back to me, and I want to share something he said to our class over 20 years ago and share why I found that statement that he made so memorable. He was, um, even for professors, unusually brilliant. He had a photographic memory. He was a very quick reader on top of that. So he read a book a day, like I have breakfast every day. I never miss. He just didn't miss a book a day. Um, And then his ability to actually recall what was in that book was uh, bizarre and amazing. So we were all impressed by his intellect. So when he made this statement, it especially caught us. He said to the class one day, he said, you know, and this wasn't bragging if you knew him, if you could have been there. It wasn't bragging. He said, you know, I have read every book published in the last 100 years on the topic of suffering, and particularly suffering and God. As a matter of fact, I've read most of the books in German on that as well. He was a first language English speaker, but had German. But you know, he said, it wasn't till a time in my life in my 40s when suffering came to my life, when suffering and pain visited me, that I could tell you that I ever had any understanding as a Christian of suffering. Why did I remember that? Why do I remember that now? Why am I sharing that with you? I think what my professor was saying is that at the heart of the question of pain and suffering and the heart of the question that we're working through in this time of what we call Explore God, where we're uh, sort of re-exploring the realities of Christianity if you're already a believer, if you're seeking after Christianity or, or Jesus, you're maybe exploring them for the first time or coming at them a different way for the first time. This question is first and foremost a personal question. This is not to say it's not a philosophical question. There are whole schools of philosophy developed around this question. But it's a philosophical question. It is a critical intellectual question because it is first and foremost a question that affects our persons and the persons around us. It is first and foremost personal. And my professor got to the heart of that in his comment. Because it's personal, as I've written the sermon, I've, it's taken me twice as long as usual to put this together. There were sort of two groups of you that I thought about a lot while I was writing the sermon, that I, I prayed for you a lot. The first group is those who are hearing your suffering. I don't know all of you personally. I, you, you have to understand it's a grief in my life that I don't. I just, I, I just don't have the opportunity to know all of you personally. I know enough of you to know just how much suffering is in this place right now. I know that it's physical health suffering. I know that it's psychological suffering. I know that it's financial. It's relational I know there's a suffering with your desires and your attractions. I just, I know there's just a great deal of suffering. So I, I thought of you. I thought of you all the time. And I thought, might what I teach from the Bible help you? Might what I teach from the Bible give you a hope 
in Jesus. Renewed. Even give you a context, maybe to understand something of what's happening in your suffering. And the second group I thought of are those that you may not be in personal suffering right now. Perhaps it's been a reality of your past. But for whatever reason, suffering and the suffering in the world, and if you have the courage to read the history, even of the last 100 years of civilization, Western and Eastern civilization, you have faced into what some mid-century, 20th century philosophers call the abyss. The abyss actually makes it sound better than I think it is. It's more than an abyss. It's a terror. It's, it's a horror to see especially what human beings have done one to another, which by far exceeds the numbers of suffering, but also even natural disaster. If you've looked into that, it is very possible that that has become a barrier to you believing fully in God, a barrier to you being able to embrace the reality of God, a barrier to you trusting the Bible. And I'm hoping that as I teach, that barrier may at least shift. It may not have as much power and influence in your life or maybe even be eliminated. This morning is not a philosophical treatment of a very important question. Philosophical treatment is very important. As a matter of fact, Christian thinkers through the centuries have majored on philosophical treatment. That's what Christians do in their work in philosophy so often. I'm not qualified to do that. I, I do my best to read it. It's very important, and I want to encourage it. But this is a pastoral treatment from a pastor. This is a biblical treatment from a Bible teacher. This is, I pray more than anything, an encounter in the Bible with Jesus, the Jesus who engages our suffering and the Jesus who overcomes our suffering. You'll see there, if you're looking at the sermon notes and you're a note taker, I've already given you the answer to the questions this morning, class. So if you're, you know, that matters to you, you like answers, you got them. Jesus engages our suffering, Jesus overcomes our suffering. If you don't like outlines like that and they make you feel controlled, have mercy on me. This is a very complicated thing and I gotta make it as clear as possible. Now, it would be logical to assume, particularly if you're exploring Christianity, it may be logical to assume Christians probably want to avoid this question, right? I mean, doesn't the question of why does a good God allow pain and suffering, ultimately, isn't that going to make God look bad? And you would think, logically, that would be the case, that actually, we would, why would we ever, in a series of six sermons about who God is, choose this one? Why wouldn't we avoid this one? Why would we let you to figure it out yourself? Christians are the opposite. We run headlong into this question. We're not afraid of this question. As a matter of fact, we have discovered, as we have studied Jesus and teachings of the Scriptures, that as you go into this question and you have the courage to press into this question, you will press yourself through this question to the very person of Jesus, to what we as Christians call the good news. Which another word for that is gospel. That indeed our God is a suffering servant. The Son of God is one who has been a man of sorrows, that we're not afraid of suffering. We put the great symbol of suffering, the cross, a symbol of ancient Roman execution in the middle of our worship space. We wear them around our necks. We have them tattooed upon our bodies. Why? We're not afraid of this question. This question leads us to God. It leads us to Jesus. Let's go. Let's ask this question or something like this question. Jesus engages our suffering. Page 895, if you have a Res Bible. The book of John. Uh, John is the fourth book of the New Testament. This is written by a follower of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to Jesus. He was very close to Jesus in his ministry. He later became a, a priest, a bishop in the church. 
Jonas gave us an account of the healing of a man born blind. But in this account, as we work it through verse by verse, we will see as well how Jesus engages and overcomes suffering. Verses 1 to 4, engagement. Verses 5 to 7, overcomes. As he passed by the antecedent, there was Jesus. So as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Let's stop there at verse 1. We see the Son of God and Jesus, to be really clear, and this really matters to how you understand how Christians think about suffering and pain. Jesus is fully God, and he is fully human, which means he experiences suffering and pain like human beings do. He's also fully God. So we have fully God, fully human, Jesus passing by. He sees a man blind from birth. The Son of God engages the suffering of humanity with his own eyes, in his own body, in a place, the ancient Near East, 2,000 years ago. He's present on earth, and he sees a man with suffering, a man born blind from birth. Take note, this may seem obvious, but I think it's important, that man can't see Jesus. Blindness is a physical reality. John, in his writing, will use blindness as a a kind of spiritual metaphor as well, that without life in Jesus, without the revelation of Jesus, the light of Jesus, we can't always see properly. So this man literally can't see Jesus. But how helpful that is for us to understand that for those of us who have a blindness when it comes to a suffering... And suffering is like a blindness. If you have had physical, emotional, mental illness, pain, it's like you can't see anything. It's it's like you can't feel anything else. You can't think of anything else. The writer of the psalm that we just said, it's it's like being bound up. It's, 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 It's like the abyss. It's like oblivion was a word that's used. All you feel and know when you're in pain or when you just got a diagnosis that is terrifying is terror. That's all you can experience. All the blind man knew was was blindness. But Jesus saw him. Was it true that Jesus was not there if the man could not see him? Is it true that Jesus wasn't there if the blind man couldn't see him? Well, no. Is it true when you're in anguish and you can't experience Jesus in your mind or your heart or your body, is it true that he's not there? Or perhaps you're understandably in that pain only knowing that. That's why Jesus came. He knows the pain of humanity. That's why God the Father sent him because of the deep blindness that comes. This is who God is. God close. But we say God incarnate in the body. God has come to engage and even to overcome our suffering. No other deity in any other world religion is like this. This is a distinctive. Verse 2. His disciples, disciple means pupil, student, and they were part of a student school. Rabbis had schools. A rabbi is a teacher in the Jewish tradition. His students said, teacher, rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now Jesus is going to engage the question of suffering, the question that are on our hearts as well. 
This is really interesting. So they're, they're making an assumption. Their assumption is that there's a cause and effect in every kind of suffering. So something happened, and in this case, somebody sinned that there now has been suffering. Now, to be clear, while this is not a universal truth, it is a truth. There is sin that we commit that can bring suffering on us. Jesus is not saying that that isn't the case. What's happening is a little more complex than that. Very likely what's happened is that there's, a, there's two rabbinical schools, and there'd be philosophical schools and teaching schools that would be a part of the ancient Near East and a part of the Hebrew-Jewish tradition. It's very likely that one rabbinical school, when it came to blindness, for example, taught the parents sinned, thus the baby's born blind. Another school taught, no, 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 you can't put that on the parents, the fetus sinned. So the fetus is born blind. And what they're trying to do is say, which rabbinical school are you in? There's often a push to say, where do we, how do we get Jesus? And how do we understand him with the knowledge that we have? So they're saying, okay, let's create a, a choice. We, we want to understand, is it school one or school two? Look what Jesus does. It was not that this man sinned. Oh, it's not school one. Or his parents, it's not school two but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What's happening here? Okay, this is Jesus being Jesus. This is what he does. He's, they're looking for one or two, and what does he say? Z. How about Z? Is he dodging? I can see how it could look that way. I don't think so. What he's doing is exercising his authority as the son of God. Rabbinical schools are nice, he's saying. They can be helpful. But the one true rabbi and teacher has come. What's happening here? He's reframing the question. I'm not going to just answer why this man was born blind. It's that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that phrase first, the works of God might be displayed in him, I don't know what that phrase means. I don't understand it. And if you're used to reading the Bible, you're used to coming up on phrases like that where, you, where it goes, the works of God might be displayed in him. You go, that's kind of confusing and I don't quite get it, so let's just move on. It must be that it's not that important, right? Because it's not that clear. That's important in Bible reading to learn, actually, it's probably really important. So you got to kind of, you know, strengthen up and shoulder in and push and go, what does that mean that the works of God might be displayed in him? Why would he say that? As a matter of fact, it's at the key and the core to understanding what's happening here. What is Jesus talking about? Well, to understand that, we need to keep reading in our Bibles to go, what would the works of God being displayed in this blind man look like? And what it looks like, and it's not, um, it wasn't read this morning, but it's in your Bibles, is we see that this man is healed. He's given sight, and he goes out and he tells others about it, verse Nine. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who was used to sit and bag? Some said it is. Some said, no, it's not. But the man kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He anointed my eyes with mud and said to me, go to Shalom and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. What might be the work of God that's being displayed in him? It's a testimony that in the midst of his suffering... In the midst of his blindness, Jesus has met him. He's encountered Jesus, and he has given him a testimony. What's a testimony? It's a witness. It's, it's a declaration. It's saying, I've actually lived suffering. I've been born blind from birth, and now I've lived Jesus. I've met Jesus. It's a testimony that what God does is he reframes the question. I, the Bible answers this to a certain degree. It somewhat answers, why does God allow pain and suffering? But but not entirely. That's an important philosophical question that should be pursued. 
What the Bible wants to answer and wants to change the, the question is, what does God do with pain and suffering? And Jesus is saying one thing, among other things, that God does with pain and suffering is he gives a testimony to Jesus amidst the pain and suffering. And you're thinking, that's it? That's all you've got? A testimony? I'm, come on. That's what we've got. Now, you're thinking testimony. Perhaps you're thinking testimony like Amazon reviews. Like, you're going to put this on the same level of somebody reviewing winter gloves and whether or not they keep your hands warm under 32 degrees, right? So let me just capture that. That may be the way to think about testimony. That's not testimony. Or maybe you're thinking, I've heard some awkward testimonies as a Christian. Those were awkward moments. Those weren't helpful to me. Now, what I'm talking about is this that there's an embodied, in your body, experience of suffering and pain. And in your body, your mind and your heart and your body, in the midst of that pain, at some point in that pain, at some point in that suffering, at some point in that blindness, you had a meeting with Jesus and you say it's true. It's true based on what I've been taught in the scriptures. It's true in what I encountered in God. It's true. It's real. That man, the blind man said, that man, that actually testimony matters deep. As a matter of fact, John will write another book called Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, he'll say, how do you overcome the enemy of our souls, the devil? How do you overcome the devil? How do you overcome the enemy? How do you overcome evil? And he says, by the blood of the Lamb, referring to the cross of Jesus Christ, and the word of our testimony. Why? Because we're a witness to the God, to the God who comes into the suffering in an embodied way. You are being given a testimony. That doesn't mean you have it right now. If you're in the midst of suffering, you don't have to have it right now. But God is giving you a testimony for others. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The comfort you've received, with that comfort you will then minister. Your testimony may be forming, but some of you have a testimony. You need to be free to speak it. You may think, I don't want to speak my testimony because my suffering is nothing compared to others' suffering. You don't testify to your suffering. It's part of the story. You're testifying to Jesus. Let me give you my testimony of the last few months. As many of you know, I became very, very ill on a preaching trip to Nigeria. And I was in the Diocese of Joss with the um, Anglican leaders there. And on, on a Sunday after preaching for a, a few days, I preached a final sermon. Uh, there were thousands of people gathered. It was an incredible event and an incredible opportunity and life experience. But about an hour after I preached, I had distinct pain right underneath my ribs. Then I became very, very disoriented. I was becoming more and more incoherent. I wasn't myself. And a doctor was called to the hotel when I got back. And the doctor said, I think you have kidney stones. Um, it appears you have severe dehydration uh, and heat stroke. That started on a Sunday. And it got worse and worse and worse. I was diagnosed with malaria on top of all of that. And I woke up on Thursday morning having experienced more pain, more misery, more desperation, more panic I have experienced in my life. Now, for 25 years, I have preached that God heals. I'm going to preach it again this morning. But I wasn't receiving a physical healing. It wasn't happening. And I was asking for it. My ability to urinate, to void properly, was becoming more and more diminished. I was trying to go to the bathroom every 15 minutes and unable to do so. Thursday morning, I woke up and I said to Father Matt, I just think I have to go to a hospital. He tried his best to get me into a hospital, and our colleagues and our friends there said, it would not be best to take you to one of our hospitals. 
it's really not ultimately safe for you. So I said, okay, take me to the capital city. Let's just get me on a plane to a capital city. They said, that too, Bishop, will not bring the relief you need. And one leader said to me, you have to get home. And I realized if that was the case, that in the midst of the greatest pain I'd ever had, I had a 24-hour trip, a six-hour road journey, which is perilous in itself, about 20 police checkpoints along the way. I'm unable to avoid properly this whole time a flight from Abuja to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Paris, Paris to Chicago. I endured, and you would think that two hours away from Chicago on the final flight, I would be relieved, but it's when I was at my very worst. I now know that my kidneys had moved into full failure and sepsis was beginning to happen, and that brought a kind of even deeper incoherence and a sense of slipping. I, I, I actually saw myself in my seat as if I was detached from myself. I heard something, a voice, say, tell someone. So I kind of shuffled up to the front of the airplane, and I, I said to the flight attendant, um, I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm slipping. I'm slipping away. This flight attendant grabbed me by both shoulders, and she said, I am a registered nurse. You are going to make it to Chicago. I am not going to leave your side. They got oxygen for me. She put her arm around me. Now, you guys know, for that know me, I'm a crier, but I couldn't afford to cry that whole week. It was too much. If I started crying, I didn't know what would happen after that. So I hadn't cried at all until that moment, and then I really cried. I arrived in Chicago, straight to the emergency room, eventually landed in Central DuPage Hospital. That night, I slept, and in the morning I awakened, I said to Catherine, who slept there, and my son Ellison was there in the hospital room, I said, thank you so much for having Ellison bring his guitar and playing worship music over me last night and praying over me. That meant so much. And Catherine looked at me and said, Stuart, I, I feel so bad now, but I didn't do any of that. I slept the whole night. I was tired. <laughs> you wore me out. I said, you mean you didn't have a, like a music time and a, a prayer meeting over me? She said, no, no, honey. There was nothing like that. I said, Catherine, there was music in this room last night. And I began to recount what I had experienced, which was now I began, the ceiling, the roof of the room was a starscape. It was like a speaking like under stars. And I heard a voice, I thought it was Catherine or Ellison, say, now Stuart will declare the works of God. I just started talking about who God was. I began to sort of speak of who God was. And then I said, Jesus, I said, he was, he was here. I, I saw him. I, I can't say much more, but I... I I just, I, 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 I talked to him. We, we talked. It's the most personal encounter with Jesus that I've ever had. That's my testimony. He saw me. He saw me all week, even when I was in great pain and it wasn't alleviated. And that's the sermon for another time. That's Ash Wednesday's sermon. He saw me. 
he met me. Pain still continued for a few more weeks. I was not instantaneously healed as much as I hoped for it and asked for it and got prayer for it. But I met Jesus. That's the testimony. He engaged me in the most beautiful way amidst my suffering. The next day, amidst this kind of unusual experience, somebody emailed me a scripture verse, which is so important when you're having sort of encounters like this. You need the Word of God to clarify and to be a foundation. It was simply a scripture verse. They said, Bishop, I was praying Psalm 118, verse 17 for you, and I looked it up, and the psalm was, I will not die but live and declare the works of God. We didn't know that then, but what we found out later from doctors is that at that point on the airplane, I was very close to a fatality. One doctor explained it this way. If you were not younger and healthy, sepsis would have likely overtaken. You probably wouldn't have made it. Now, would I give that testimony based on the suffering? Because no, that suffering was actually nothing compared to the diagnoses and the situations that many of you are in today. That suffering is nothing compared to, I wear the flag colors of Nigeria on my wrist. It's nothing compared to what happens in Nigeria. A priest with the exact same condition who couldn't get out died of the exact same situation I had. I, I can't bear testimony to whose suffering is greater. Heaven forbid. But we bear testimony to him. To him. To him that only engages, but he overcomes. Look at verse 5. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva and anointed the man's eyes with mud. What is happening here? Okay, we're moving to Jesus overcomes. What's at the heart of this? I realize that the cross is not explicitly taught in this moment. But you have to learn how to read properly, not just projecting it carefully for cross clues in the teachings around Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. Why does Jesus say that here at this point? There's two clues. First of all, we look in the context of the book that's being written. Turn with me to John chapter 1. That's just a few pages in your pew Bible, 886. Why would you say, I am the light of the world? What does that connect to? What is he saying he will do? In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, Jesus with the Father. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So Jesus with the Father is a creator God. He created all things. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, mirrors John chapter 1, almost verse for verse, where we read that when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, let there be light. The first reality can come in, and light brings life. And light overcomes the darkness. What Jesus is saying is, I am the creator. Not only is he saying, I am the creator. Now watch this. He's saying, I am the re-creator. When I created the heavens and the earth with my Father, there was no suffering. There was no pain. But in Genesis chapter 3, we read that human rebellion, human refusal to live under the power of God and trust in the Word of God brought a profound rebellion. And sin and suffering and pain entered into the world. And there was a foe to humanity named Satan. And he entered into the world. And an influence in the world. And Jesus is saying, I created the world. And the world has become terrifying. Terrifying. 
So I will recreate the world in the cross. On the cross, I will take the pain and the suffering, the psychosis and the insanity and the terror of death camps. I will take all those things upon me. In that moment, I will take all those things on me. But not only will I do that, I will rise from the dead and I will recreate all things in my time. I'm the recreator God. Look at how he then takes the dust of the earth. He blends it with his saliva. Now, why does he do that? At one level, I have to tell you, I do not know. I just don't know why he does that, particularly the saliva piece. But the best thing I've read on that is from an early church thinker, Irenaeus. Irenaeus says he takes the dust from which humanity was made. He teaches again in Genesis, it's about the beginnings, that humanity was made with dust. He takes the dust, he engages it with his body, with his mouth, with his saliva, and he recreates the man's eyes because he's the recreator God. That's how he overcomes. That's who God is. Fundamental to who God is, is the recreator God. Now on this earth, there are times when that recreating ministry of his breaks out into actual physical healing. And there are times when it does not. And it's very important to understand. I want you to understand the promise that you're given as a Christian. The promise is that God will recreate amidst your suffering and pain. The promise is that God will be present amidst your suffering and pain. The promise is that God will give you a testimony amidst your suffering and pain. The promise, and we'll get into this in just a moment, is that one day all suffering and pain, like in the beginning, will be, rest- will be removed and eliminated, and there will be a restoration of all things. But in this time, as we await that reality of Jesus' return, there is a recreation happening in your spirit and your soul always. Someone wrote this to me in the midst of some of my greatest pain and suffering after I had returned and come home from the hospital. It sounds like a cliche, but it helped me so much. They said, Stuart, in my own pain and suffering, I've learned this. Don't focus on the healing. Focus on the healer. That's really deeply biblical. It may sound like a trite little phrase. It's really good. Because when you are in pain, you want a healing. Of course you do. Of course you do. But you're trained in those moments to love the healer and want him even more. Let me be clear, even this week, I got an email from a young woman who said, a year and a half ago, Bishop Stewart, I was at a conference where you were helping lead on an evening prayer session, and you spoke out a, a sort of prayer for healing for women who are struggling with infertility. And I was in that struggle. And then you prayed specifically for a condition that might prevent fertility, and I had that condition. And the next week, I went to the doctor and the condition that had been diagnosed with tests previous was now completely eliminated. It was gone. And you don't know this, but I now have a baby daughter. A recreation leading to a creation. But there are many who have had infertility that I've prayed for who have not had an infertility healing. That's just true. But oh, there can be a recreation healing, a recreation of your soul and your spirit and your life with Jesus. That's the promise. To have a testimony, you must be open to the recreating power of Jesus. To survive this veil of tears and human misery that could be so overwhelming. Oh, I call you to have a belief in the recreating Jesus who said, I am the light 
From the beginning I was the light, and again I am the light, and today in your life I am the light, and the light shall not overcome the darkness. I will recreate all things, concluding with Revelation that was read to you. God will recreate all things. This is not just a projective hope of the Christian. We believe that God is recreating all things and that ultimately there will be a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21, 1. And that the first heaven and the first earth with pain and suffering will pass away. The sea will be no more. And then it says that God in Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There shall not be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. He will recreate the earth. He will recreate the relationship between male and female that has brought so much of pain and terror and fear. He will recreate relationships between the races and the tribes. He will recreate government. He will recreate family. He will recreate our desires and our affections. He will recreate our bodies. He is the light of the world and the darkness shall not overcome it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.